The summer break is the traditional time for New Zealanders to get an annual fix of the great outdoors. But many of those passionate about their recreation, whether it's tramping, hunting and fishing or riding, are worried about the future of access to public land. The Chief Executive of the New Zealand Fish and Game Council, Bryce Johnson, is a fervent believer in the opportunity for all to enjoy the outdoors and be able to get onto public land. On the banks of the Hutt River near the Rimutaka Ranges, he talks about the water, bush and access. This land around here, uh, being uncovered, is owned by the Department of Conservation uh, and also there's some private land off on the left here, uh, but to all intents and purposes it's effectively public land for recreation and conservation. So that means that the ordinary person can just come down here and there's no problem at all? Yes, they can. Uh, This is an an open access area here and quite a few people come here fishing, swimming, uh, canoeing. Uh, It's a very popular site near Wellington. And also surrounded by lovely hills covered with bush. When it comes into that sort of area, what's the access? Who owns that? How easy is it to go up into those areas? Well, once again, it depends on the title of the land. If it's the Department of Conservation land, there's um, free access to it so long as you can actually get to it. In 2005, farmers were mounting a campaign putting orange ribbons on gates and launching a petition to counter planned legislation, giving the public greater rights to roam, similar to those in place in the UK. The sound of Myrtle, the famous tractor that tried to drive up the steps of Parliament in protest against the fart tax. It's being used this time to promote a petition by Federated Farmers that will travel the length and breadth of the country seeking signatures. Three years later and a walking access commission was set up to enhance access and strengthen access culture across New Zealand. Since then, many people, such as the Federated Farmers Vice President Anders Crowfoot, argue the heat has gone out of disputes. With the formation of the Walking Access Commission, if there's an issue, there's a place to go and it can be addressed. And that seems to actually be working quite well. But Bryce Johnson has a completely different view. We've been very involved in trying to get agriculture to be put onto a more environmentally responsible footing for the last 10 or 15 years now. Our next big campaign, I'm sure, is going to end up being public access to the outdoors because increasingly I think New Zealanders are finding that their place, uh, you know, the natural resources that, to- that belong to the public, I mean, they belong to everyone in general and no one in particular, are increasingly being privatised by stealth. Uh, and I think we need to expose that uh, and have the public speaking up. I mean, it's so much what actually is part of the definition of what it means to be a Kiwi. And that's why many people come here. It's what's so special. And it's why the early acclimatisation societies uh, were so staunch and are still staunch through the Fish and Game Councils on access to the outdoors. Uh, and I just think we need to step up and do a better job all around. I'm Philippa Tolley and this insight explores whether more needs to be done to safeguard access to the bush, lakes and rivers. Nearly a decade after the Walking Commission was created, several dozen complaints are still made every year about obstructions to access on unformed legal roads. There are also inquiries from landholders regarding rights of access and trespass on these so-called paper roads. While disputes have generally been on the decline, a number of high-profile cases indicate such issues have not gone away. A notable example has simmered in the Nelson Lakes District over a road into the Gowan River, home to fishing tourism ventures aimed at the top end of the fly fishing market. Sitting alongside the river is Felix Borenstein, a lodge owner who is happy the public can also have access to the Gowan. He describes his lodge as one of the best in New Zealand and is equally enthusiastic about how fantastic it is to fish for trout here. 
New Zealand has the finest sighted trout fishery in the world. And that's about walking up a river that's crystal clear and spotting a large brown or rainbow trout and then trying to catch that. And there is nowhere in the world, nowhere in the world, that has the clarity of the rivers and the size of the trout that New Zealand has. And there are big tourism dollars involved. Most of his guests are from overseas, and a week's accommodation with guide costs between six and $9,000. But Felix Borensen is relaxed about people wandering along the riverbank. I can just walk up the river. It's, it's what makes New Zealand a very special place, is the core value that the public hold of free and fair access to our rivers and lakes and sea. Just up the road, a gate across a public road has been locked for more than a decade. The road is a legal right-of-way, but not formed as part of the main roading network. A member of the trust that owns the adjacent land, Michael Talley, says the track is part legal road and part privately owned and formed by the farm. And he says there are no fences in many places. No access is given to hunters or dogs, but commercial fishing guides are allowed in with a vehicle if they ask. Michael Talley says public access can be gained to the area in a number of other ways. The chief executive of Tasman District Council, Lindsay McKenzie, was in charge of trying to unravel the row that has involved fishing game, walking access and neighbours pushing to have the lock removed. An earlier council decision had allowed the trust to lock the gate as long as it guaranteed foot and cycle access. Lindsay McKenzie says there were doubts as to whether the agreement was legally binding, but no progress could be made over a couple of years of negotiations, and in the end, he recommended sticking with the status quo. I put a report back to the council saying, actually, let's uh, live with the situation, leave the lock there, not enforce its removal, basically. The rationale for that was that there is value to the public in having walking and cycling access over that land, which in the council's view now outweighs the inconvenience to a motorist not being able to drive past the gate. While these historic roads can cause problems, Lindsay McKenzie is also an advocate of their benefits. They're also an opportunity. We've got some good examples of successes where uh, unformed legal roads have been used to provide uh, access. Uh, one at Purimahoi, which I mean, has been problematic for some, but it's given members of the public uh, opportunities, and one or two others in the Lakes Murchison area where process of negotiation between landowners, their legal advisors, the Council Walking Access New Zealand has resulted in some good outcomes. The creation of the Walking Commission has enabled a number of successful negotiations that have improved access in areas such as those mentioned in Tasman District. The Chief Executive, Mark Neeson, says the Commission has generally brought in a greater transparency and understanding about public land. He points to the online walking access mapping system that displays all the places the public can go up and down the country. And when it comes to the so-called paper roads, there's a lot to show. We estimate, um, this was done mid-2000s, around about 56,000 kilometres of unformed legal road, which is around about similar to the amount of 
formed legal right. Gary Howard is the mayor in Buller on the west coast where his family has lived and worked for generations. Third generation uh, Buller person and uh, both grandparents involved in coal mining. It's been a great place to grow up, had several years away. Love being here, it's a special place. I've like many other parts of New Zealand, Buller has many unformed roads. We've got paper roads all over the place, a lot of farms, a lot of access to beaches. Uh, typically we have farmers graze them and look after them for us, so that they have fences and some people go, well, you know, we still want that access down to the beach. And that's what we try and ensure that is maintained. But to be honest, we can't actually maintain access ways uh, to what people would normally consider a roading standard. Local territorial authorities oversee issues in connection with these roads. As the President of Local Government New Zealand and Hastings Mayor, Lawrence Yule explains many of the problems that spring up stem from the fact their origin goes back beyond last century. Well, paper roads are historical lines on maps, really, that are drawn up and are deemed as public access points. Uh, many of them are quite innocuous, they cause no concern whatsoever, but some of them are contentious. Some of them are completely impractical. In other words, you go, the line goes to the bottom of a cliff and the line stops again at the top of a cliff. But they were essentially just drawn on maps uh, without too much concern for the topography or physical characteristics. Councils often get involved in disputes about access to these paper roads. So you might have a farm, you have a paper road through it, it is completely unfenced, and another person uh, will actually say, well, I'm going to drive straight through that, um, uh, right in the middle of somebody's farming operation. It's those type of disputes we mainly get involved in. He believes the obligations of owning land adjacent to a paper road aren't always understood. Landowners would argue that it's a piece of, uh, a, a line on a map. It doesn't actually mean anything to me. I can just carry on with unfettered use of it, paying no money for it. It's usually when somebody wants to use it that they become aware that actually this is a public piece of land. People have right to walk over it. They've actually generally got rights to even drive over it uh, because it's a public road. It's not usually until that point that the landowner uh, actually realises the significance of having a paper road on their property. The Vice President of Federated Farmers, Anders Crowfoot, lives on his station at Castle Point on the Wairarapa coast. It used to have a paper road, so we went to have a look. This particular bit of road we're walking on right now, it was originally one of those paper roads. So what were the reasons that you understand for it being closed off? I would say it was before, before we owned the station, but I, I think it was probably the original unformed legal road that was envisaged as the way of getting out to Castle Point. As it uh, transpired, they went a different route, and so they really no longer... Had a, had a reason to actually have access through that way. Anders Crowfoot says public access sounds benign, but he came under a great deal of pressure when he became the new station owner in the late 1990s. When we first arrived here in 98, um, there was a huge amount of pressure. I think in hindsight, it was probably people trying the new owners on. We were getting up to five requests a day uh, for access of one form or another. That wasn't just getting down the coast, that was um, using our freeze or dog tucker freezers for their fishing bait, it was using the tennis court, it was landing recreational aircraft on the airstrip, um, it was actually 
pretty horrific. Um, we decided after that first first summer, we went and talked to our lawyer and said, uh, did we buy a public park or do we actually have any rights here? And he said, no, you've got rights. We've set a policy for Castle Point Station um, that there is no recreational access. So if you just come up on a one-off and want to go out and have a picnic, we'll say sorry, no. What we do to balance that out is if there are organized activities, um, we allow usually s several organized trips through a year. He says while public access on private land is negotiable, he has firm opinions on locking off access on public rights of way, even if the road is unformed. If you as a farmer have put up a gate across there, you really shouldn't be locking it. Um, if there are reasons that it, it should be, then that's something you should actually be talking about with the local council. Um, and that's where the situations get can get much more tense. And he says he has little sympathy for anyone trying to cut off access to public parks. Damage or the theft or shooting of stock is frequently used as a reason for locking gates, but Anders Crowfoot is not sure whether there really is a significant problem. Bad news travels fast, so if you have one bad experience, plenty of people will know about it. Um, if you have a good experience, people don't talk about it, so you don't, you don't hear it. So I'd say the bad probably does get amplified over, over the good, uh, but there certainly are some really bad cases but they aren't necessarily restricted to access. You get plenty of situations where people are just hopping over the public, off the public road and rustling stock or shooting animals. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not, not a clear-cut thing. The president of the New Zealand Horse Network, Vivian Dostein, has heard all the reasons for denying access many times. She says the same arguments heard here against greater access were used when Scotland introduced rights to Rome more than a decade ago. And they had all of the same arguments as we have every 10 years or so about public access here. Oh, it'll bring on the poachers and it'll bring on damage and, you know, all every single argument you could think of. And since 2003, they've, they've opened up completely and none of the, you know, skies falling predictions have come true. But even without the full-blown right to roam, she says many other countries have rights of way that are not open to motorised transport, but to foot traffic, cycling and horses. The nearest thing we have in New Zealand would be the unformed legal roads, the paper roads, as they're called. And I think they, they're usually called paper roads to try and make them seem different from a, a legal road, which they aren't legally. Vivian Dostein lives in Massey in West Auckland, and just up the road are her two horses, Imp and Yoda. She describes the struggle to use legal but unformed roads as a battle and cites obstacles such as locked gates, fences, bulls and trees planted in paper roads as the sorts of impediments created by the owners of the land adjacent to the legal right-of-way. Vivian Dostein says the support from local authorities over maintaining rightful access is hugely variable. She feels that for the most part, local authorities don't have a will to ensure legal public access and seem to favour the concerns of an individual landowner over those wanting access they have a legal right to. Campaigns are constantly being run by the network to ensure horses and their riders are included as users of public areas. Vivian Dostein says it's increasingly important to be proactive 
as demand to use open areas increases. It's often just educating the various managers who don't come into contact with horses or horse riders very often. So again, it's that unknown. They don't. They think that we need a lot of infrastructure. We don't need any infrastructure in particular. Again, I think you, you often get the impression that you're trying to bring a wild lion into the park. I love the ones where you get from Doc that you know horses mustn't browse native plants, and you go, well, I'm not. I'm not taking them to the park, letting them loose and hoping to meet them at the other end so they can browse their way from one place to another. I'm going to ride the horse. <laughs> but there are quite a few eyes watching to make sure rights aren't lost. From just outside Dunedin, Public Access New Zealand advocates on behalf of all forms of public recreation and has a board of trustees spread throughout the country. Wide-sweeping comments over farmers and their attitudes to public rights of access aren't appealing to the chairman, Alan McMillan, who can reel off a list of names of those who have gone out of their way to help people wanting to access the great outdoors. But he's clear in his opinion of those who are solely focused on their own land. Paper road access has been controlled by uh, the land, local landowner for over 100 years. They've, in many cases, subsumed the... Um, the area of the public road into their farming operation and firmly believe that it is part of their farming operation but in fact in law it isn't, it's a completely separate title uh, it is uh, public land, it's not private land and the landowner has no right to, to take it over in fact you could almost say it's theft of public property to do that Bryce Johnson of Fish and Games says the legislation in place is explicit about allowing people to enjoy the conservation estate along with rivers and the seashore. The intent of Parliament is very clear. We have the Walking Access Act, which is all about making access to the outdoors free, certain, enduring and practical. And that does include vehicle access as well. Uh, but what's happening is we're getting a gradual erosion of that uh, and organisations like uh, Federated Farmers, for example, are pushing very hard for a strengthening of private property rights and that will be to the disadvantage of the wider public. While many disputes over fences across paper roads or locked gates grind on for years, Bryce Johnson is adamant the authorities charged with responsibility should be resolving them. The principal role lies with territorial local authorities and especially with the Walking Access Commission. And the Walking Access Commission, which was set up, well its statute was set up in 2008, is a very strong statute. But our view is that the Commission tends to interpret, interpret its role rather timidly uh, and we would like them to stay much, take a much firmer line. Lawrence Yule agrees that it is illegal to use padlocks and chains to secure unformed legal roads, but he says in many cases trying to enforce access comes down to priorities. He says a landowner can be ordered to take a lock off, but if he or she keeps putting it back, the next step is likely to be caught. Many authorities would be loath to spend ratepayers' money to guarantee access for often a relatively few people. When it comes to how local councils tackle issues of access, Mark Neeson of the Walking Access Commission says attitudes can sometimes be ingrained and there is always a matter of money. They're reflecting local pressures often. For example, you know, the, the ratepayers the ratepayers of a small council may be the ones that are having to pick up the cost of the recreational pressures generated by people from outside the region. Case in point is people from Wellington going to the coast on the Wairapa coast, but it's the local councils, those councils, which pick up any cost related to access and provision of toilets and fences and car parks and that sort of thing. 
but it's not only farmers and local authorities involved in these issues. Trampers also have fears about the security of access into the remoter parts of the country. My main passion are long tramps, big tramps, and sort of the remoter areas of New Zealand. Um, As someone who loves to roam around wilderness areas, Peter Wilson, an executive member of the Federated Mountain Clubs of New Zealand, is worried about losing access as part of the review of tenure in the high country. The land in question is Crown-owned that has been leased to farmers, in some cases for more than 100 years. A tenure review is the process by which the lease can be turned into a freehold property. As part of negotiations, iconic land or areas of special interest are transferred into the Crown Estate and access rights are one of the factors that must be considered. But Peter Wilson believes access isn't always given a high enough priority. A common issue with tenure review is that you might have an existing access track through the middle of a property. Um, it might have been there for some time. It may have even been formed in the past with... Uh, help from the government or district council money and it's been used for access for a long time. One of the issues that happens with tenure review is commonly um, the access that comes out of a tenure review will be on a less easy to access line. It might be around a lake shore, it might uh, follow a river, it, might, it, it may not take the most practicable line. So in other words, while, that, while some access arrangements are coming out of tenure review, they might not be in the best, most practicable place. And it might be that when the government department that handles tenure review that looks at these things, it may not negotiate as hard as it should for public access. What we need to do with this land is safeguarding it for future generations, because this is a once-only. If we get it wrong now, it's very hard to undo. But in response, Land Information New Zealand says tenure review is opening up high country land for conservation and recreation and introducing public access where previously there was none. The group manager of Crown Property, John Hook, says once these arrangements are in place, they are there forever and bind all future landowners. While Land Information New Zealand points to public consultation and tenure review, local authorities would like to streamline the process for closing or stopping public roads. In the report of the Rules Reduction Task Force, local authorities propose making the process clearer and simpler. In Buller, Gary Howard says legally stopping paper roads requires a great deal of costly paperwork. It's the legal process of amalgamating titles or changing over public notification, going through a process. So we don't see many of, of them occur. But despite the problems they sometimes cause, the president of local government New Zealand, Lawrence Yule, doesn't think local authorities have got any particular desire to sell off these unformed roads. There is a process that has to be followed if you wish to close a paper road. So any person or individual can write to the local authority and ask for their paper roads to be closed. Uh, there is a process that has to be followed, including the local authority determining whether that paper road has any value, strategic or otherwise. And then usually it's advertised and people have a right to have a say. If there are no submissions and the council deems that you know they don't have no strategic value in that piece of land, then very often the council will sell that piece of land to the individual landowner and the paper road is closed. And Anders Crowfoot of Federated Farmers thinks it shouldn't be something that can be done too easily. It shouldn't be something that can't be done at all. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a fairly high bar to closing a public road. Um, and I think that's probably as, as it should be. 
Mark Neeson of the Walking Commission acknowledges that some people would like to make these roads legally disappear, but he says they need to look to the future. And a good example is the cycleways, which we've got around the country. Many of those cycleways have used public land in one form or another, whether it's conservation land or legal roads or other. If that public land hadn't been available, many of those cycleways may not exist or the building of them and creating of them might have taken longer and be much more expensive. So we're finding in some areas, I guess it's a, it's a real tension being created between what was, how I put it, the old economic uses to the new economic uses. So farming, for example, is now coming up against new uses such as cycling and cycle touring and cycleways. And these new uses are happening very quickly. And other challenges may also be on the horizon. Many of those spoken to for this program say the police do not get involved in these standoffs over access, saying it's a civil matter. The chair of Public Access New Zealand, Alan McMillan, says he's already laid a complaint with the Independent Police Complaints Authority over lack of action, and he fears people may resort to their own devices. If all that fails, there's a potential for a disaster because the public not only has the right to use those public roads, it has the right to assert the use of those public roads. Now you can put your own interpretation on what assert means, but it could be a bolt cutter or what have you. And that, of course, is something that we don't recommend. There are many dangers involved if you do that. While some are worried for the future, Mark Neeson says there's no drive for increased rights to access land for recreation and the Walking Commission is continuing to work to make the most of what is already available. I think now there's an acceptance that each country, right to access in each country will differ and they'll be appropriate to the particular country and culture and heritage. So New Zealand has what it has. Our mission, if you like, our objective is to enhance and maintain that cultural heritage, if you like, our excess heritage. And so I think people are not asking for more. They're certainly asking for um, clarity around what their rights and responsibilities are. From a Trampers perspective, Peter Wilson says the pressure on access is only going to grow as the drive continues to increase agricultural production. Kiwis are an outdoor nation. Um, we're actually becoming more active in the hills. Uh, at tramping, at participation in tramping and climbing, hunting, fishing, all of those things, it's, only, it's growing. I think it was uh, at least 300,000 Kiwis have gone tramping in the last year with the latest uh, Sport New Zealand survey. So access, access to those places is more important. And Bryce Johnson now feels the time may be coming when he can see people fighting a little harder to hang on to their access to the great outdoors. As I understand, under New Zealand trespass law, you're not technically trespassing until you are told by the lawful owner or occupier. Now that means if I'm on the riverbank here and someone comes along and says, hey, bugger off, this is my place, uh, you can say, with respect, sir, you need to show me that you are either the lawful owner or occupier, otherwise I'm not technically trespassing. And so the law, um, I can see that when that sort of view gets around, that would lead to a little bit of civil disobedience. Perhaps it might be what's required just to make all the key players in this debate sit up and actually accept that there are interests on both sides that need to be negotiated and provided for.
I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from this First Insight for 2016. If you have any thoughts, especially ideas about what you might like to hear tackled in the future, do get in touch. Our email is insight at radionz.co.nz, and our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight.